Welcome to Same Old City, an independent York City FC fans podcast. I'm Simon Craft, and who am I joined by today? My name is Ben Aspinall. Yeah, now, as you can probably tell from our tone of voice, a bit of a sad and sombre occasion because the club has lost someone quite dear to us, certainly dear to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we, we know everyone's going to be finding it difficult at the moment, so hopefully this episode can can provide a little bit of, of comfort and solace um, in oh, this dear. difficult time. So yeah, we thought it was most appropriate then to start with a little tribute to our departed friend. Ethan Henson's he now left the football club, left the football club, left the football club. Um, Ethan is no longer in the football club. Gentlemen, it has been a privilege playing with you tonight. Yep, that's right. We have had official confirmation that Ethan Henderson has left the football club. So we did say last week that was going to be our final Ethan Henderson watch, but we lied. We've done it before. We'll do it again. Um, ben, any thoughts on having that confirmation from Adley about Ethan? It reminds me of the time that um, during lockdown my abscess exploded and I felt much better. Are you comparing Ethan Henderson to an abscess? I will not be commenting further on the matter. Okay. But yeah, we thought we'd we'd better start with that important news uh, before we move on to what else has been happening at the club. Uh, specifically, the one-all draw at Boreham Wood yesterday looked like it was going to be heading for a nil-nil, and we were all set with using Bore draw for the title. Um, and then mm. a couple of goals had to happen, unfortunately. Um, but yes, we're going to be recapping that one. Highlights haven't gone live, so we're going to be slightly winging it. But um, I'm sure it'll be fine. Do you think, Ben? Yeah, um, I seem to recall Rodney Rose smashing one in from 25 yards into the top corner. I think that happened. So, um, And it was very, very strange to see um, Richard Cresswell come off the bench. But we'll, we'll get into that in in, in in a deeper terms when we come to it during the match. Have you just clicked on a game from 1998 by mistake again? Ah, Borenwood. Yep. Sorry, I thought said Shrewsbury. Sorry, sorry, ignore me. So yeah, let's start with that draw at Meadow Park on Sunday. I think you were watching in a pub, is that right, Ben? Yep, I was watching at the Mucky Duck in uh, York. Uh, nice to see it advertised so prominently. The only, uh, all the screens were showing the York game. All the FA Cup games were being neglected, which can't be said for many other pubs that I uh, noticed when I was passing through the centre of uh, York on Sunday at, at lunchtime. So it was really good to see. A few York fans were watching the game. Um, from what I could tell, nobody looks at the screen that intently when it's on league football, unless you're supposed to be one of the teams involved. So yeah, I've uh, big ups to the Mucky Duck for that one. I was I was uh, quite pleased with that. But yeah, let's talk about what actually transpired. So let's start as we always do by looking at the lineups. Just the one change for York, but it was quite a significant one because Billy Chadwick came into the side to make his debut um, and came in for. 
Paddy or Daddy, as he shall henceforth be known. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on this? I was a little bit surprised that he didn't come in for Burgess. Exact same as you, Simon. I was, I was, I'd say two thirds certain he'd be on the bench, and a third certain he'd be in the eleven for uh, Burgess, acting as that go between the midfield and the front two. Uh, and I was wrong on both accounts, so uh, might as well pack up and go home. To be frank, I was very surprised that we did seemingly go for uh, three up front. Um, although obviously uh, a five-two-three is not unheard of in the modern game, it's not something you see too often, especially from uh, from York City, especially at this level. So I was quite surprised. But um, as I'll tell you what, the first ten minutes, I was uh, thinking it was something of a masterstroke. To be honest with you, yeah, definitely. We we started brightly, and Chadwick himself was was involved. Pretty early on, because um, we had a decent chance after four minutes. It was Dippo with a little layoff to Chadwick mm. just outside the area. And then Chadwick made a really nice side-footed finish, but looked like it was going in on the camera angle I was looking at. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just, uh, just went wide of the post. But we should have known, as, as you mentioned last week... Um, <laughs> He's got form for, for missing early chances in, in games involving York, hasn't he? So we should have expected this. It's a decent effort, I thought. It was really good, uh, really good technique. The build-up was pretty impressive to see the four players linking up so well so quickly. Yeah, it's fair to say I was salivating at this point. I thought, who are these jokers that we're going to put to the sword? We looked really, really good straight away. Unfortunately, I just don't think we could quite um, keep up the pace. Yeah, it was not the most powerful of strikes, so it had to be really accurate, but it, it nearly was. It only mm. just crept wide. But yeah, Chadwick definitely started brightly. And we had quite a bit mm. of possession early on as well. And you could sort of see how he was going to bring something different to the team because he was buzzing around, you know, sort of the middle um, of the attack with Dippo and Davis either side of him. And you're thinking, okay, yeah, this guy, you know, he's he's good on the ball. He's He's trying to beat people. He's, he's maybe something slightly different to what we've had before, and I'm quite excited to see the, the three of them play together. Mm-hmm. Didn't quite work out that way as the game went on, but yeah, definitely a, a decent opening 10 to 15 minutes. But then Boromwood seemed to gradually come into it. I mean, it's been a bit of a pattern recently, hasn't it, that we start well and then and then the other team start to get more of the ball and get on top. I think the cliche is there that um, Boromwood started putting their foot on the ball and playing it. Um, nothing was sticking um, because this new formation, this new uh, lineup, incorporating new player meant. Um, I think it was a, the, the tactic wasn't quite clear. Um, long punts upfield that weren't, you know, clinging on to Dippo and Davis, and Chadwick was ne- neither here nor there. I thought was he supposed to be helping up midfield? Was he supposed to be up front? And yeah, that just meant that the ball was coming back far too quickly to uh, Bournemouth's midfield. So yeah, it was very very frustrating with that in that regard, and that you know Woodward, uh, Woodyard clearly always it, his current um, gimmick is always putting a shift in, isn't he? He's he's ever since that Wigan game, he's he's found himself, and we're all very grateful for that. But it did kind of feel like we're playing this weird five one four formation at this point. Burgess um, not really cut out for that midfield battle, and because of that, Boreham Wood just kept coming and coming. Now they weren't exactly tearing us apart or anything like that but we were seemingly being outplayed um, in the middle of the park where we didn't need to I think our forward line sort of got physically dominated by Boreham Wood's defence I mm-hmm. think Dippo and Davis particularly they, they're quite 
good physical presences, but Borenwood had some had some absolute units. Uh, I believe the uh, oh yeah technical absolutely. Term. But having said that, they didn't really create that much themselves. The only chance yeah. I've got noted down for them um, for the first half hour or so was uh, one by Marsh, where he curled a shot high and wide from just outside the area. Um, so there was a few shots sort of from range, but they were either fairly comfortable for GSK or they were yeah. off target. So I wasn't too worried, but I was sort of thinking, okay, yeah, we've lost that early momentum. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Simon. The back three uh, looked as reassured as they have done since they started playing together, um, obviously, which was the uh, the Gateshead Boxing Day match. That balance is still there. It's great to see. Um, I thought Aussie Fairweather was a little bit iffy, but he did make some good runs forward again. Um, you know, I, I don't even think he knows what his legs are doing at times. And he exemplified that brilliantly in the first half of some of the runs he went on. I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about him in the second half. Yeah, it was funny, actually, because my wife was... I guess half watching, um, and she did comment at one point. It's about Lottie Fairweather that he looked really odd the way he ran. That he looked mm. like his legs were moving really slowly, but that he was actually moving quite quickly. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that kind of backs up your point. Uh, coming from a non-football fan, <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of chances quite late in the half. Um, first of all, for Borenwood, where um, there was a shot by Chris Bush following a corner that uh, Fallowfield got quite an important block on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then down the other end, a couple of minutes later, there was a chance for Dippo where Fallowfield put the ball in and he kind of did a little back heel flick type shot. I don't know if you remember that one. I thought it was good build-up play with, um, with the Dippo effort, that weird back heel thing. Let's call it a thing just to <laughs> best describe it. There wasn't a great amount of power on it, which is a bit of a shame. But I guess it's supposed how good Dipper is, you know, able to get an effort like that away with such a uh, such a cross that is behind him. The game, yeah, the game kind of drifted into that first half as uh, Bournemouth tried to come forward. The defense looked very reassured, and yeah, the, the game it's kind of felt like a bit like a I don't know, like a iceberg is drifting off to sea and not, nothing really happening. And I was kind of relieved to have that first um, half come to an end from the referee because at least then, you know, there's going to be a tactical change at half-time from either side. You know, someone's going to get a telling off. Uh, and I think it's fair to say it was uh, it was our lads, wasn't it? Well, yeah, there was footage inside the dressing room, which is always quite fun to see. I'm not <laughs> sure if you could actually hear what was being said, but Adley looked... No, you couldn't, no, no. Uh, Adley looked quite animated. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did say after the game as well that he'd sort of laid into them a bit in the first half because he didn't think they were quite following the game plan. And you could definitely see an improvement at the start of the second half, because we had quite a few decent chances in the first five or ten minutes. Mm. First one was where there was a foul on Dippo, but ref played advantage, and then Will Davis managed to get a shot off, but um, saved by Ashmore, the Borenwood keeper. Mm-hmm. And then there was another one not long after, where Chadwick had an effort that went not far over the bar, and Chadwick at this point, I think, had been withdrawn a bit to be more of a number ten, behind Dippo and Davis, and it seemed to be working quite well, at least at the start of that second half, so I was starting to feel a bit more optimistic. Definitely remember both efforts. The Davis one's the one that's kind of straight out the goalkeeper, isn't it? If I remember that correctly. Yeah. It's a decent effort, but it's it's very stable for goalkeeper. Personally, I'm just happy to see the goalkeeper staying in his area for this one, <laughs> uh, if you recall the the, uh, the home fixture. Oh, great call back there. Yeah, there we go. 
Uh, they call that a callback in the industry. And um, the other effort, the um, Chadwick one, if I remember correctly, it hits that quite sweet, doesn't it? It's it's the one, I think the keeper gets, uh, is that the fingertips one? I can't remember. Oh, okay, no, it, it's, he, the technique of hit, the way he hits it is, is very, very good. Very clean strike. Complete antithesis to how he was hitting the football for his uh, effort in the first uh, four or five minutes. So yeah, you're right. Uh, we came out the stronger side. We um, here to try and smother them. You know, try and hit them with pace. Uh, get get a ball forward quickly and play much much better. But then I think that thing kind of happened again, didn't it? Where once the once the um, pound full of water simmered and uh, things kind of cooled down a little bit, kind of returned to how it was in the first half. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair. It was yeah. I mean, it was a game of two halves, but two very similar halves. After those couple of chances, and there was a, a run by Lati Fairweather as well, where he did that thing where he brings it into the box. Probably should have passed, but yeah, um, he did. Yeah, hit the side netting in the end. He got giddy, didn't he? He got very excited because he, he did exceptionally well to get into that position. Fair play to him. We, we joked about his his body not knowing what his legs are doing and made him a bit of a punchline. But massive respect to him. He took out two right-sided Boringwood players with relative ease, got himself in a fantastic position. The opportunity was there to cross into the middle and for whatever reason, we'll never know, he just kept going on his run and ended up in a side netting rather harmlessly, didn't it? Very, very frustrating because he'd done all the hard work and it was very hard work and he made it look so easy and then faltered at last crucial moment. So hopefully that's something that you can learn. On 76 minutes, there was one thing I wanted to note where Bournemouth had a counter-attack after there was what I thought was a blatant foul not given on Alex Woodyard. Very nearly led to a goal because they had a couple of shots blocked. You know, it was sort of last-ditch defending. There was a handball, claim went up. Without having seen any of this back, it's difficult to uh, comment on the specifics. Yes, um, I seem to recall that particular incident. And I know it's later on in the game, but yeah, then Woodyard was also the victim of mistaken identity, wasn't he, from what I could make out. Um yeah, it was Paddy think, who made the foul. I think that uh, Paddy foul, uh, Daddy fouls someone, yeah. and Woodyard eats the yellow, and just another example of the referees in this division. And we repeat ourselves. So let's not dwell on it too much. That's the kind of thing that Fathers for Justice have been campaigning against, isn't it? Really, that kind of targeting daddies. Although no, actually, it wasn't. It was uh, it was Daddy getting away with it. So it was. I just remember watching, and you know that the um, the the pain of not having a sound on in the pub. You have to kind of go out on yourself. You can't rely on a commentator. And you're watching that and you're thinking, why is why is Woodyard complaining so much? And it shows you the replay. And, oh, that's why, because he didn't go anywhere near the player that got fouled. You could understand if he'd got big hair and hair confused. But Paddy hasn't got very much hair. Well, precisely. And it is, you know, he's he's going a bit of a, in the direction of a silver fox, isn't he, Daddy? So there's no excuse for, for this sort of uh, confusion. Um, I think you're right. I think Boren would start to have half chances in the second half. And... I won't say it was last-ditch defending, but there was, you know, bodies flying everywhere to try and prevent the ball from going into the net. I thought the three um, centre-halves all played um, at least good to um, how I thought was just excellent. Possibly the best performance he's had since, you know, coming to the club in the summer. Real body-on-the-line kind of stuff, which was just great. GSK, ever-reliable. And then, you know, it was very unfortunate what happened to him um, in the 80 third minute or whatever it was, wasn't it? Yeah, so let's come on to that. So it's Chris Bush for Boronwood bringing the ball forward. No one's really closing him down and he 
Clay thinks, okay, well, I'll uh, may as well have a pop then. Um, hits mm -hmm. a, a very decent effort, but don't know about you, but as I was watching it live, I thought, okay, yeah, good save there by GSK. He's tipped it over the bar, and then you see the ball bounce, uh, unfortunately, yeah. over the goal line. Seen a bit of discussion about is this a goalkeeping error or is it just bad luck? See the Bourne Wood manager described it as an error. Ardley said that George had come into the dressing room and apologised and they'd all sort of said, don't be silly, there's nothing to apologise for. Mm -hmm. To me, it's one of those things that just happens sometimes and mm. nine times out of ten, he makes that save, it flies over the bar, even if it lands on the top of the goal netting, nobody comments on it, so oh yeah, good save. He's going in the top corner. So I wouldn't really describe it as a as a howler or anything. Um, how how did you see this one? I have to be a little bit more harsh than that. I think it is a mistake, but I'm not demanding we get the pitchforks out and crucify the young lad. I think it's an error by the very definition. He saves and it goes in, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, that is a mistake. But as Adley says um, in the post-match presser, how many points has GSK got us this season from his saves alone? Penalty saves and you know regular in-play saves. Nine points, maybe? Maybe even more? I, I don't know. So I can forgive him it. It's unfortunate. You can see what he's trying to do. He's trying to get a strong hand to it for it to go over the bar. He just doesn't get enough on it. And unfortunately, it drops him. It's a, a bit of a freak goal. I, I think, uh, was it Bush who scored for, is that his name, sorry? Yeah. Who scored for Bournemouth? I think, it's, I think he didn't even celebrate properly, does he? Because it's sheer audaciousness of uh <laughs> of his effort yeah i, I totally forget i totally f um forgive george sykes kenworthy he's a very very good young goalkeeper he's going to get better things like this he'll learn from he'll learn to go with his other hand next time they had another decent effort again from distance so clearly thinking oh they've got a dodgy keeper you know like at six aside when uh yeah. when you're playing and <laughs> <laughs> you put the injured on the net lads have a go for 30 yards Appiah had a shot from distance, which was a very decent effort, but just went high and wide. And yeah, moved into injury time. It's looking like it's going to be first defeat in uh, in quite a while. Mm -hmm. Then we get a free kick, not far out. Dippo steps up and fantastic effort. This one just tipped over. Did he do uh, Did he do something similar? Oh, it's going to be those of you with good memories. At home to, I'm going to say, Altrincham that we scored from the resulting corner. Does that ring a bell to you, Simon? You'd have to ask someone who like does a podcast about the club or something and uh, and can remember key events. But, oh, wait. I'll, I'll ask the hospital ball, lads. But I I think he did that at, um, at home to, to Alty. I think it was a good free kick on target, keeper saves, and then we scored from the resulting corner. So who says lightning uh, doesn't strike twice? Yeah, so uh, from the resulting corner, Scott Burgess goes over to take it. Hadn't done too much, but gets his delivery into the right area. It's flicked across goal. Not sure who gets that first touch, but then it's headed back across goal from the far post by Will Smith and then powered home by Adam Crooks or bounces off their defender's face if you actually watch the replay. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, <clears throat> yet another last-minute equaliser on TV after Woking after Halifax, what were the scenes like in the Mucky Duck when this one went in? A nice loud scream from yours truly, causing one or two uh, customers having their Sunday roast to look around concerned. But uh, I was delighted. A little bit of commotion from people happy with the goal going in. And yeah, just sheer relief, I think. 
that lovely look from one or two uh, other customers in the pub when they look at you and look at the screen to say, what on earth are you watching at this, <laughs> at this time? Before realising it was, yeah, you know, it was the team of the city in which you're currently in, that sort of thing. Yeah, sheer relief for me at this point. I think uh, Smith does really well to get that ball across, back across the bigger pattern at the six-yard box to, to keep it in such a dangerous position. And it finds eventually Crooks slash their um, defensive player as it goes in. Huge fan of the lad on the line, swinging an arm at it. Try and see if he can keep it out with a, a last-ditch save. Worth a red card and a, like a four-match ban if it results in just in a penalty, isn't it? But um, absolutely delighted. It would have been not the biggest crime of the century had we lost the match, but it would have been very, very annoying and frustrating had we come away from uh, the Arsenal Ladies Stadium with no points. So to get away with one, I'm happy with that. Yeah, I think it's not that we played particularly well, but mm. I don't think Boreham would really did that much themselves. So it would have been it would have been a really frustrating way to lose our unbeaten run. I agree. I, the thing that makes me think we we, we spoke last week about this um, uh, fantasy playoff run for this year. Yeah, we might have got a bit carried away with that. Uh, no, 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 no. It, hear me out. We talked about that, and we talked about 2013-14 and what we did in League Two. Now, what we did in League Two was, everyone everyone was there, everyone remembers this, we just turned games into wars of attrition and usually won one or two nil. Or definitely, you know, kept clean sheets and tried to win by a clear goal. And you could you could have absolutely saw that happening in this particular match, especially with the chances that we had at the start of the second half. You could have definitely seen us going one nil up and, you know, not to dig it up again that weird goal for them not going in and we could have got out of there with a one nil win and oh my god the spirit of you know the ghost of Nigel Worthington I know he's not dead uh, lives on in um, the halls of uh, of York City Football Club that didn't happen unfortunately um, we had to take the draw but it's still there um, you can see how we're trying to play we're trying to play tight quite defensive keep everything um, basic restrict the opposition to half chances and try and nick something ourselves. It's worked really well since, um, oh God, what, Rochdale, I think, Rochdale away. And it were, I think it worked reasonably well on Sunday afternoon. I think we were a little bit unlucky to not get a cheeky, you know, snidey 1-0 win and get out of dodge, you know, counting our lucky stars. Wasn't to be. And we go again next week. But yeah, I could have easily seen us winning that match yesterday. Yeah, I think we got the defensive side of it right again. Mm-hmm. Maybe what let us down was the uh, transitions to uh, to use one of the club's favourite buzzwords this season, um, because against Gateshead we were we were winning it back and then breaking mm-hmm. quickly and and looking quite threatening on the attack. We didn't quite manage that, but we still had quite a few decent chances. So yeah, we absolutely could have nicked it. And yeah, I'm quite excited to see what impact Chadwick can have. On the rest of our season, yeah. but it seems like Adley hasn't quite figured out where to sort of fit him into that jigsaw, um, and mm-hmm. and who needs to drop out, and and what system's going to work best. But yeah, it was a one-all draw, which means we've now played Boreham Wood six times and drawn every single one of those games. So, drawing Wood. Yeah. Well, there's your episode title. Fantastic. I think um, if we're going to do something miraculous the second half of the season, which is very, very unlikely that we're going to. If that's going to happen, it's going to be happening via attritional football. It's probably going to be a mid-table finish, maybe lower mid-table, if we um, don't bring in the midfield players that we need to. 
but he, he's always learning, hardly, and he always he strikes me as a bloke who's always um, fixated on how he can improve his squad, his his eleven, and his tactics. So, hey, we go again. So yeah, let's take a look at the tweets we had in response to this game. Uh, one from Ben Robinson, who said, "Made the journey unlike those part-time fans," which is in capital letters. Not sure who he's referring to there. That's a dig. <laughs> Said, horrendous, boring, and cold game. Exactly what TNT deserved. Glad it's over. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sounds like maybe the part-time fans had the, had the right idea watching it in the comfort of, uh, of a pub. Don't like to boast, but, you know, I was warm. <laughs> uh, Luke Beddows said, very solid at the back. Seemed to lose out in midfield today. Maybe, Don's helmet, Paddy starts in that batty-shaped hole. Well, I'm not going to comment on a batty-shaped hole, but... Um, Point taken. Definitely, definitely <laughs> a comment on a, on Daddy going into it. No. Also, if GSK doesn't get to that, I feel like it's a great goal. But because he does and it goes in, some are saying it's an error. Unlucky mm. for me. Yeah, so we did talk about that. But yeah, if he stays rooted to the spot and it flies into the top corner, yeah, maybe nobody mentions the keeper's, the keeper's role in that. Yeah. And finally, one from Bottom1984, who says, Chadwick looked good. TLF, I felt, had a good game. And a few iterations of this team would have lost this game against a very mm-hmm. physical team not too far back. And Boreham Wood continues to be a miserable existence. <laughs> Just want to make clear that's not our words. Although I'm not going to disagree. No, I think it's very fair. Um, I think TLF, there was a bad foul in the first... Uh, I beg your pardon, I'm sorry. There was a bad ha- foul in the second half in a quite a dangerous position where he showed a little bit of naivety. But, you know, that's me being very picky. That's me... Being very uh, putting a magnifying glass on Thierry's performance, but you know he is a left wing back. You know we do like his attacking prowess, but you know he should be a little bit better defensively. Yeah, well, let's move on to talking points. So last week we we put out a call for talking points on Twitter, and that worked quite nicely. So done it again. So let's kick off here with one from George Coultish who says, transfer outgoings. Who do we ship out? And realistically, where do they go? And do they come back? So specifically talking about players leaving the club. Mm-hmm. I guess first thing to mention is that a few people have left the club in the last week. Ollie Green and Luke Daly have both returned to their parent clubs, um, apparently because they've been quite badly ill, so they might not be ready to play again. So may see them again. Uh, Scott Barrow's gone out to Darlington, on loan, reunited with Steve Watson there, and yeah, apparently played ninety minutes and it kept a clean sheet. So it's nice to see that he's, um, you know, getting some some first team football again. Mm-hmm. So there have been those outgoings. What do you think in terms of other outgoings? Do do we expect to see many other players leave in January? Obviously, we've still got a massive squad. This player's not really getting game time. Anyone you you think in particular might be moving on? I think the massive issue of this particular question is. Adley has stated on numerous occasions uh, his desire to get players out, even just on loans, just to get them playing. And the rather awkward situation of certain players refusing to go on loan uh, because of the level of which uh, the clubs are playing at who want to come in for them. To reveal such information to the fans in pre-match interviews is rather telling. He's not quite trying to shame players at the club, but, you know, trying to make it very clear to these players that this is the only way you're going to get minutes in a competitive setting. 
So, um, you know, it's very easy for us as supporters to want to wave a magic wand and say, oh, let's get rid of loan out players such as Saziba, Castro, um, who else got Kennedy, perhaps, um, Joshua, RIP, Ethan Henderson, that sort of thing. But it's not as simple as that. I am sure, I'm sure and absolutely certain that we've tried to loan out players. Perhaps, yeah, I'd say Saziba and Castro are probably two of them who we've offered round clubs to try and get them some minutes because I'm certain Adley sees the best in them and thinks the best of them and wants to get them minutes so they're match fit so they can be called upon to play for us. I mean, Saziba seemed busy enough in the uh, ill-fated Nantwich visit, did he not? Um, as per the comments from people, as per the highlights. There's definitely a player in Castro somewhere. I think probably would have to cater to it um, and set our entire game plan around it, which isn't ideal, but he's on the books, so we might as well use him. So, yeah, I think the players that are there that we want to ship out um, on loan to get the minutes, Kennedy has found himself just dropping on the pecking order, even when we've had players like uh, Green, who's now left, but, you know, when Green was about, um, Paddy, Dyson, uh, Kennedy has kind of uh, flattered to deceive, has he not? He's not really hit the heights since coming in in late uh, August. I don't think he's got any assists, has he? He's definitely not scored any goals, which is kind of something you want from your attacking midfielder. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised, if I'm honest, if we see uh, Maz go out in some way. Kuya is obviously a very good player. We've all got really fond memories of what he contributed to the club when we got promoted out of National League North. And I think at times he has shown glimpses of what he can do at this level. But maybe in terms of his position and how he plays, perhaps Adley doesn't quite fancy him and what he can bring to, you know, this uh, starting eleven. I might be wrong. We are aware that, uh, that Kuya has been ill and therefore unable to be part of the matchday squads. But the fact that he was shunted out to that left wing back position against Gateshead makes me think perhaps Adley doesn't trust him further, you know, further up the field. I don't know. Might be completely wrong there, but I'm just not getting the impression right now that Adley fancies Maz. Uh, and yeah, that's just a, a premonition that's happening in the waters. Yeah, I think I'd agree with Castro and Saziba being maybe most likely to be ones that we're looking to move out, particularly on loan. Because mm -hmm. if you look at the matchday squads, I mean, Castro started against Nantwich. Saziba came on quite early and played most of it. Neither of them have even been named on the bench since then. Mm. So that suggests that was sort of maybe their last chance. Whereas Kennedy has been on the bench last couple of games. Uh, and Maz did start a couple of games in a row before he, he got ill. So mm -hmm. and I think maybe with Maz, his versatility might save him in a way that, um, you know, he's sure. a good player to have on the bench because you can bring him on a number of positions. You know he brings mm. energy. You know he can be quite a useful impact sub. Thinking about the Wigan game, yes, where that's he, true. Um, you know, running at a tight defence, he 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 can cause issues. So yeah, I'd say probably Castro and Saziba. But yeah, it's the question of are they going to want to go out on loan? What kind of level of club is going to be interested in them, in them? So yeah, I wouldn't expect to see massive outgoings in January, personally. Mm -hmm. But let's move on to our next talking point. So this one comes from Matthew Clegg. It's a little bit related. He says, January transfers, what do we need? Who needs shipping out? Barnes and Main to feature in the matchday squad? Well, we've talked about who needs shipping out. Let's maybe 
start with the final part of that question. Yeah, Finley Barnes and Cedric Main have returned from being on loan um, for the first half of the season. I think Barnes travelled with the squad down to Boreham but didn't make the bench. But yeah, do we think they're going to get a chance to prove themselves? It's an interesting question. I'd like to see it. Um, Adley has spoke highly of them both, um, and it was good that he singled out um, Cedric Main specifically um, in uh, the, one of the pre-match interviews recently. I think it was Boreham Wood. Finley Barnes, we've, we've all seen the highlight reels from his loan spells at Darlington and at Scarborough. Bit tasty, he's got something about him. I do worry for Barnes that there's players now ahead of him in the current starting eleven, particularly Davis and um, now Chadwick, if not players like the Burge. So I don't think it's going to be straightforward. Main, however, I think is more straightforward. He would be, you know, uh, the attacking outlet up front at the, you know, the spearhead of the attack to, um, you know, give a rest to either uh, Davis or to um, Akinyemi. Yeah, I think I can only really go based on pre-season and the, mm-hmm. the occasional highlights reel that you see of what they've done out on loan. But Cedric Main, when we signed him, there was a bit of a negative reaction, I think, in mm. terms of, oh, we signed this player from the division below and he didn't even score that many goals. But what you could see in pre-season was that he's, he's certainly a willing runner Mm-hmm. Um, someone who's willing to, you know, again, maybe play wide in a three, coming off the bench and run at a tied defence. I think he's he's got quite decent stats for assists as well this season and last. Yeah. Um, so he's maybe not just your sort of target man, but but someone who's going to um, who's going to get involved in in that side of things as well. And Barnes, yeah, I'm not quite sure what position he would play. He's he's another one a bit like Burgess, where he's not physically the biggest, clearly quite talented. It's what position um, he, mm. he's going to get a chance in, particularly, like you say, now Chadwick's there. But yeah, I'd like to see him both at least named in match day squads. Yeah. Um, me too. And sort of get to see, you know, are they better than what we already have? The second part of that question also relates to that because it's what, what more do we need in terms of incoming transfers in January? So Ardley was asked about this after the Boreham game and he seemed to say that there's a couple that they're working on, but they, they might not be imminent. And if they do bring them in, they might not be ready to go straight into the team. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether that means sort of like younger up-and-coming players or players working their way back from fitness. But what would you sort of be prioritising if we were going to bring anyone else in? Well, first, yeah, it's very interesting that Adley mentioned the aspect of not being able to immediately slot into the team. I trust Adley the transfers, and if he believes a player down the road would be a, you know, a key contributor to this team going forward then I trust him explicitly but right now looking at that midfield looking how it performed against Boreham Wood it needs another combative midfielder in there now we do have one we have one in Daniel Batty but uh, unfortunately he's not seeing a football field until earliest what mid-February and Adley did say in his, in his pre-match presser if you can get two and a half three months out of him that would be delightful and I agree but we kind of want someone else in there right now, I think. Um, I don't think Daddy can do it properly. Dyson puts the effort in, but I don't think it's quite good enough. And the Burge is a conundrum all to himself, which I'm sure will come on to next. So I don't see the, the reason why we can't get a, another combative, energetic midfielder, a battler in there, you know, a bit of a bruiser. Someone to go next to Woodyard to help, you know, to relieve the pressure on him because Woodyard has, a, has had a... His season's getting better and better. 
but it, he is on the wrong side of 30 now. He says also from the wrong side of 30. Where an injury to him or a suspension to him away from having a very, very depleted and open gap in a sense for midfield. So who knows what they're cooking up at Wigginton Road. Hopefully they're looking at players with those key attributes for the centre midfield. But if it was up to me, and one day it will be, we should be looking for a, a talented and a combative box-to-box midfielder. Yeah, I think the other one would be, as we've been saying all season, a left-back because... Mm. Luke Daly's gone back. He Sorry, I right. thought that, I thought it was I thought that was a given. Sorry, <laughs> we just we just don't even need to mention it anymore. No, no. Yeah, I think that's still a position that we could improve on because Lati Fairweather, we've said it many times, is a bit raw, mm-hmm. and Crooks is better in his current position um, at centre back. So yeah, if we could bring the equivalent of a Fallowfield in on the other flank, I think that could that could be a big improvement as well. Would it be quicker to simply convince the Ugla family to invest in human cloning techniques uh, and then from there get a left-footed version of Ryan Fallerfield created and just slot him into the other side of the field? Because I think that would be quicker and less expensive than going through every left-back available on loan from Championship League One teams. What, what do you reckon? But wouldn't you have to like edit the DNA slightly to make sure that he wasn't right-footed? Or would you just sort of train him to only use his left foot, this clone? No, I'm sure science has got far enough to change the foot that this um, Ryan Fallerfield 2 would use. So I'm I'm not worried about it. I have not seen any sort of, you know, science fiction, for example, that would indicate that human cloning could go badly. So I will be putting forward this motion to the Ugga family when I next see them. Excellent. Well, yeah, I can't see any ethical issues with it. No, not at and all. And we did have Paul, two Paul Robinsons in the same team, so you know there's precisely there's, there's a precedent for this sort of thing, isn't there? So yeah, I'm all behind that. Good, I'm glad yeah. I got your vote. Maybe we don't need to sign a left back. Yeah, there you go. Problem solved. Next. Yeah, so there was another question uh, from Matthew Clegg. So he said, "Forgot to add the Burge conundrum, which is all capitalized, which I like. That could be <laughs> that could be the sequel to the Burge film. <laughs> How can a player with that many assists still not have convinced me?" he should be the first name on the team sheet. Mm. Now, this is a really good question because I keep wavering between the same you know, idea, mm-hmm. the same debate, which is you sometimes watch him play and you think, oh, he's a, he's a bit of a passenger in this game and he's mm-hmm. he's getting out muscle too easily and he's not done very much and then he pops up with another assist. <laughs> and there's nobody else in our team doing that. So mm. for me, when Batty's fit again, if you look at the, the lineup against Borenwood, I think naturally you fit batty in in burgess's place and he mm-hmm. can take over the the set pieces and offer a bit more of that you know dynamic box-to-box midfielder that you were talking about but are we still underrating burgess if he if he is getting all these stats or you know are the stats not as important as we think they are it's it's a great question uh we've discussed burge um a few times on the pod haven't we um after he's put in a decent performance perhaps with a few assists I think looking back on Saturday, I don't think I said this during our discussion about the match particularly, but I think Adley did get it wrong playing the bird so closely next to, to Woodyard because it did become that 5-1-4. I think had you played either one of Dyson or Daddy, you're varying on the quality there, but you're getting a workhorse in who's going to support um, Woodyard to the best of the ability and try and not let the midfield get flooded. Neither are perfect, just to make that very clear. I, I would rather have someone else in there, Daniel Batty, doing that particular role. 
but I'd rather have either of those two ahead of the Burge. And just to stress, that's in a central midfield. The Burge is playing where Chadwick was playing on on Sunday, in my opinion. And Chadwick, you can see, is a very creative player. You can see he's got good feet, he's a bit of a flair player. And that's what the Burge has been doing so far since he's come into the team. So I don't think they were stepping on each other's toes because I think the Burge was trying to do a job in that central midfield area. It's just not his game. So, yeah, looking at the, what was it, nine assists now in his goal, it's a hell of a number of stats to be, you know, seemingly giving up. But I think the balance of the, of the midfield and also, therefore, the attack would be better addressed if a different player was in there ahead of the Burge, which I think is really cruel because I don't think he's seemingly done anything wrong. But you do have moments where he just disappears from games and, you know, it, when it starts to become a non-league battle in midfield and blood and guts and thunder and rain and, you know, dogs abuse from the stands, he is not really the player that stands up and, and wants to be counted if I'm being really, really harsh on him. Is he the Warrington Meza Ozil? Is he from Warrington? He's from Warrington, yeah. I did just have to look that up. But... I did not know he was a wool. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he is a very... Dictionary definition of a luxury player, but it's not a criticism because he's done really well this season. And I like the guy. He, he puts the effort in. I just think his game is so precise in what he can do and what he can deliver that games like Sunday just seemingly pass him by. And I realise I am saying this after he delivered in the corner that we got the last minute equaliser from. So perhaps I'm being extra harsh. But I can definitely see both sides of the argument when it comes to the Burge. And personally, in my opinion, if we're going to proceed with having the three up front or Chadwick playing behind the front two, linking midfield and attack, I would be wanting a different player next to Woodyard. Yeah, well, let's move on to the next talking point, which comes from Jonathan Stabler, who asks, final Ethan Henderson watch? Well, yeah, it was. (laughs) What's next for him? Is he even too bad for Scarborough? The midfielder or striker going forward conundrum? Future of the jingle? <laughs> I think we're retiring EHW, aren't we? I yeah, think, I think uh, that will be. I mean, we did say that last week, but yeah, I think it's time. And let's start with the important bit, which is the jingle. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to lay that to rest. Um, I think he is too bad for Scarborough. I think he, oh, yeah. he, he wasn't yeah. even good enough for Atherton Colliery. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's, that's pretty clear. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, as we mentioned uh, last week, probably move back to the States and trying to uh, massage his CV in terms of what he actually did over here mm-hmm. and convince someone to, to take a chance on him. Uh, are you anticipating him scoring uh, a few goals at like college level or what have you and someone, some joker, some cheeky prankster posting said stats on Red and Blue and saying, hey, worth a look. <laughs> we still should have re-signed John Maloney. But... <laughs> One for the purists there, Simon. Yeah, And just one final talking point, which didn't come from Twitter, but I did really want to take a look at it because it's someone else who is no longer associated with the club, but mm-hmm. who we, uh, of course, remember fondly, which is David Webb. Because he, mm. um, <clears throat> he gave an interview, which has been quoted here in the York Press. I'm just, I'm just going to read from it because, um, yeah, it's quite something. David mused. <laughs> David Webb has declared that he would have made York City a success if he had been granted more time in charge of the club. That's that's the way it starts. Yeah, it's basically talking about how he didn't have enough time to, uh, you know, impose his unique set of skills on the club. 
Um, but th there's one bit in particular that I wanted to, to look at. I see myself as someone who thinks differently. I am not a normal, conventional coach. I am quite gifted in a way. I can look at football matches, and the way I describe it is like the Queen's Gambit. She can see the pieces moving around. She's dead, isn't she? <laughs> I've not seen it, I'll be honest. Oh, you mean the Queen? Yeah. <laughs> I was told I am a little bit neurodiverse. I was told your creative thinking is very different in how you see things. Didn't say who told him that there. But, um... His mum. <laughs> yeah, so, but he's, you know, he's doing all right for himself. He's working alongside Willie Sanyol for the Georgia national team yeah. who are on the brink of creating history by reaching Euro 2024. What in the name of LinkedIn is this rubbish? As I said to you before, Simon, before we start recording, I genuinely try and see the best in everyone, in any walk of life, in anything that I, tr I do professionally, in my spare time, I do try and see anyone's anyone else's point of view and what they're doing, right? This guy is a joker, an absolute fraudster of the highest level. I cannot believe this man speaks in this way to a journalist and is happy to have this put out into the public domain. It was bad enough that he had this spell as the York City manager and was horrendous. He talks about the, the, um, the win ratio not being that bad and complains about missing the first few weeks when he had COVID. But they were when we got a couple of those wins. We won matches. Yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't this, involved. We won one match with him in a dugout, the Maidstone, Shaq Ford hat-trick. We won one fixture with Webb sat in our dugout Oh, you better believe he mentions Shaq Ford. Oh, of course he does. Doesn't mention Wolf Zahar, weirdly. So ah, well, I, was, I needed thing. that for the full house, yeah. unfortunately. This is awful. This is genuinely horrific. Now, luckily, in the same way with Ethan and Glenn Henderson, give it a week or two, we never have to hear about these people ever again. Unless, of course, Georgia qualified for the bloody Euros this summer, and we have to see his face on the BBC as they're getting beaten 5-0 by France in the group stage. Let's look ahead. Let's not dwell on the comedic figures from the club's past. Let's look ahead to our next game, which is um, not until next Tuesday, Tuesday the 16th, at home against Dorking, who have got their own uh, interesting character in charge. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's no game this weekend, because uh, obviously, as you mentioned, we're out the trophy. But this Dorking game could be quite a big one, because... If you look at the league table, Dorking are one place below us, one point below us. They've lost four out of the last five games, but they did win away at Oxford City on New Year's Day. Mm -hmm. Looking back to last season, the corresponding fixture, we won 2-1. But yeah, Dorking do, of course, have Dan Pibus this time round. Pie man. <laughs> They've got football pie all over their midfield. Mm -hmm. Do you think he's going to make the difference? Or is this going to be another another win for us, do we think? Uh, we'll win this one, handedly. Score prediction? 2-0. Uh, okay. I saw enough from what um, we can do up front in spells against uh, Boreham Wood, who are a much better footballing team than uh, Mark White and his um, skinny jeans. So I fully anticipate um, us romping to victory, maybe a little bit unconvincing in the full 90-minute performance, but these aren't very good. Yeah, and it's the start of a bit of a run against teams below us or around us in the bottom half of the table. We've got four remaining games in January, starting with that game against Dorking at home. And then after that, 
we have filed at home, mm-hmm. followed by Oxford City away, and then Hartlepool away. So four, I guess we would describe as winnable games. What do you think mm. would be a good points outcome uh, from those four? We're not quite convincing enough to, you know, obnoxiously, obnoxiously claim 12 points on the way. But if you break down each fixture individually, there's no reason why you can't dream big. And then you're into February, and then you've got fixtures like Minhead at home, South End away, that's going to be difficult. Dagnum at home, they're, they're no great shakes. So yeah, if we're going to have these wild ambitions for higher up the table, I am going to stop saying playoffs now, I, I promise. Then... I'd want at least 10 points from this. It's hard to gauge what what Oxford City can do at home. They're, they seem to be a bit of a strange team. I think they're they're probably our most convincing home win this season. Is that is that fair? In terms of the whole performance. I think that's the only one we've really dominated start to finish at home. Yeah. South End was a bit of a strange one with the sending offs and they were probably the better team first half. Filed, you don't want it to go the way of Ebbsfleet. You want to put the team that's in the relegation spots um, to the sword quite promptly, like we did at their place. And Hartlepool, whilst that one is a good few weeks away from from now, they're probably going to have someone in place now. But they appear to be in a bit of disarray, don't, don't they? So you'd be really wanting to be taking advantage of that. I think you'd be looking at a minimum of six or seven points, really, from this. Oof, that's very conservative, I think. Well, that's why I said minimum. If you no. get if you get nine, ten, dare I say even twelve, that's when we're gonna be uh getting that twenty thirteen, fourteen season up again and, <laughs> and making those comparisons. But to say we're gonna suddenly go and, and win four games in a row is maybe a mm. little bit optimistic, but we wanna be winning, yeah, two or three of these, I would think, if we really want to be. Not having to uh look behind us too much in the closing months of the season. But I would say, Simon, whilst I do agree with you, I do agree with you completely, to be honest with you, our defence is looking so much better that I don't see us conceding that many goals against teams down there and around us. If you look at how we're conceding goals against those sides, so the Boreham freakish, you know, 30-yarder, the absolute last-minute goalkeeper goal, that sort of thing, we're not conceding for fun anymore. Hmm. Um, you know, barring the Hartley Paul debacle all them weeks and months ago now. So teams like Dorking, Fylde, Oxford, I don't really see them, you know, getting those uh, clear-cut chances against us, especially if we do persist with the three at the back. So if we can get um, the front uh, three clicking, as it seemed like we were trying to do against Bournemouth, we're not going to be blowing these teams away. But I do fancy us to concede so many fewer goals than we have in the early on in the season. There's no reason we can't be uh, getting these one nils in, two nils in, and that you know they're the building blocks to the uh, <laughs> the higher place finishing the table. Let's put it that let's put it that way diplomatically. Yeah, well, we will of course be uh, reviewing that Dorking game in our next episode. But yeah, thanks as ever uh, for supporting the podcast. We had a great response to our first episode of twenty twenty four. Give us a follow at Same Old City Pod on uh, Twitter or X and Instagram. And we've had another Apple review, haven't we? And we were very, very happy to read it. Yeah, well, I've got it here in front of me now. So it's from Sam E.W. Title of it, Class. <laughs> it's just a diatribe about the the class system, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's uh, It says, an absolute must for any City fan. 
especially one that can't get to every game. Makes you wonder how there wasn't a City podcast sooner. Hmm. Yeah, it does. It's a, it's a strange, strange one, that, isn't it? That, that no one's ever thought of that. Yep, exactly. Pioneers, you could say we are. But no, in all seriousness, Sam, thank you very much for your review. But you're in luck because there is another York City podcast, which is York Hospital Ball, about to release their 11th series. So they're much more uh, long established than, than us Johnny Come Latelys. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of interviews with ex players, uh, ex managers, people connected to the club. And they actually also seem to know what they're doing. So they've got that one up on us, haven't they? Yeah, they talk to you know actual football people and we, I don't know, what <laughs> do we do? We just make snooker puns and AI jingles. <laughs> and like, you know, personally go in on uh, ex-chairman's uh, Nepo baby sons. But I, I, I can't wait for the new, uh, new series of uh, Hospital Ball. They're, they're great lads. It's great to listen to them. And uh, yeah, they often put out content where I'm, clenching my fist and shaking it into the air going why don't we think of that so looking forward to more of the same with this new season yeah i did give the latest episode a listen which was quite an interesting one because it's an interview with george mallet who's he's written a book called potter Hotcut, and a desk in east london the story mm-hmm. of osterson's fk's european adventure so yeah. it's looking at um you know x city graham potter and you know when he started out his managerial journey yeah, a Swedish uh, lower league team and took them all the way to into Europe. Um, definitely going to be uh, checking that book out because it was a interesting listen. I, I definitely will have to give that one a spin myself. That does sound interesting. No doubt the author was inspired from uh, watching Graham Potter's free kicks and um, and corners into non dangerous positions circa two thousand and one. Hey, he scored direct from a corner. And so Simon Russell, what you know, no one remembers him, do they? I remember his hair. Ooh. But yeah, that about wraps up this episode. So I guess all that's left to say is, is thanks for listening and, and thanks for the memories, Ethan. Ethan, we will remember you. But also, keep the faith. Spaces between